Gonzaga looked like the team still feeling the physical and emotional toll of Saturday's game against UW, but they coasted to an easy victory over Mississippi Valley State on Monday behind solid defense and a nice game from Jun Suk Yo. Let's get it. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. going on y'all welcome to the locked on zags podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day i'm your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics today's episode of locked on zags is brought to you by linkedin jobs these days every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business that's why linkedin jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and they do it for free so post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply folks happy tuesday we're going to discuss gonzaga falling to number 10 in the ap poll we're going to talk about the opponents that gonzaga has played or are going to play and where they're at in the ap poll what that might mean for mark few's team going forward but before we get into any of that we are going to recap this game against mississippi valley state the zags coast to a very easy 78-40 to 40 victory over the Delta Devils. Again, this is the worst team in college basketball at the Division I level, according to Ken Palm. Not trying to take anything away from Mississippi Valley State, uh, but just pointing out that that is the, the matchup that Gonzaga kind of found themselves in here. And, and the defense was fantastic. Kind of what you'd expect, what you'd hope. Uh, holding a team that only averages about 50 points per game. You want to hold them to something below that. And Gonzaga was able to do so. 18 first half points for Mississippi Valley State, only 22 in the second half. But what we saw overall, and we'll get into some of the good stuff, some of the exciting performances from the younger guys, but this was a pretty lackadaisical performance. And I, you can't really blame Gonzaga's players for that. This is, I mean, we're, this game was tipped off less than 48 hours after the game against Washington, the emotional game, physical game, high intensity environment. They come back to Spokane. They start finals this week. They go into an environment against a team that they can beat in their sleep, if we're being perfectly honest. And that's kind of what happened. That's sort of what the deal was in this game. Gonzaga jumped out to a 14 to 2 lead, and it never got even remotely closer than that, ever. There were some points that were kind of sloppy. There were some some media timeout gaps where Gonzaga lost in the first half where Mississippi Valley State outscored them over a four-minute period of time. And uh, it just was one of those games where there wasn't a lot of energy in the building. There wasn't a lot of energy among the players uh, for either team, really. It was just kind of a, a methodical, slow-paced game. Part of that was Mississippi Valley State running a very slow-paced offense. There was multiple shot clock violations, multiple uh, attempts where Mississippi Valley State grazed the rim, which was the only reason it was not a shot clock violation. So that kind of contributed to Gonzaga only scoring 78 points. That certainly contributed in part to Mississippi Valley State only scoring 40 points. Uh, for people who maybe didn't watch this game, you're going to see the score. You're going to see that Gonzaga you know, almost won by 40, uh, but I, I'm not sure that that accurately tells the picture. Not that Gonzaga was worse than that. It just wasn't a particularly pretty game on either side. Mississippi Valley State mucked it up with the style that they play. Uh, and Gonzaga just had tired legs. They just had tired legs. There were some great things. Like we said, the defense was fantastic. Mississippi Valley State shot 29% 
uh, from the field in this game, 16 of 55. They were 4 of 15 from 3. Uh, Mississippi Valley State also had 18 turnovers. Gonzaga did a really good job poking the ball loose, getting uh, playing the passing lanes, jumping passes, doing all that kind of stuff, getting out in transition, playing that type of aggressive defense that we've seen early from Gonzaga this season and that we've really wanted to continue to see more of from Gonzaga. They definitely had that in this game. We saw it quite a bit. Uh, outside of that, Graham E.K. was fantastic, as he has often been in these kind of home games against teams that that don't have the size or the physicality to match up with him. I finished with 13 points and eight rebounds. He was five of six from the field, three of three from the free throw line. Really nice stuff from him. And as we have also so often said on this podcast when talking about these home games for Gonzaga, Braden Huff, we wanted to see a bounce back from him, and, and we did. 17 points for him, four rebounds, three steals. Now, it wasn't his strongest performance. Uh, there were some some mishaps, some turnovers, some free throw issues, but he still led Gonzaga with 17 points. Certainly don't want to knock uh, a redshirt freshman for coming off the bench and leading the team in points again, something he has done multiple times this season. Still uh, somebody who makes great decisions with the basketball, makes quick decisions with the basketball, made an impact on this game defensively as well with a couple of blocked shots. Uh, just really nice overall performance from him in a, a season where that has been something we've, say, we've said a lot more times than I thought that we would uh, before the season began. Really good to see that from him. And then the guard facilitation too. Guards deserve some credit here. Uh, between uh, Ryan Nembhard, Dusty Stromer, and Nolan Hickman, they combined for 13 assists and two turnovers. Really nice stuff from them. Nembhard didn't have the greatest shooting game. I know he's been kind of the the ire of criticism for many Gonzaga fans who who maybe only watched the last 10 minutes of the Washington game because he was really good in the first 30 minutes of that game, but obviously his performance down the stretch in a game where he did not get a single second of rest uh, did help contribute to UW coming back and winning that game. But Nemhard looked good in this game, uh, particularly distributing the ball. He didn't shoot it all that well, but he didn't have any turnovers. He had five assists and he barely played in the second half, which is one of the best things that could have possibly happened in this game. Uh, a few bad things, uh, and there's unfortunately a fair amount of, of not so good things to talk about, even in a game that Gonzaga won by 38 against a uh, not very good opponent. Uh, the Zag shot 21% from three, five of 24 from beyond the arc, 20.8%. Mississippi Valley State ran a zone for huge chunks of this game defensively, and Gonzaga was unable to capitalize. The thing that is challenging for me, frustrating for me, that I know many people will see is Gonzaga's offense is set up to get players open looks for three. There were multiple times where a drive, a series of passes, a motion offense, something would happen that would set somebody up for an open three, whether it was Dusty Stromer, whether it was Nolan Hickman, whether it was Ben Gregg, Ryan Nembhardt, whomever. There are offensive plays that Mark Few has run for decades that this Gonzaga team practices night in and night out that they ran to perfection during this game, got an open look from three, and just clanged it off the rim. That is difficult because I don't know how you fix that. You just don't have the personnel to knock those shots down. Guys are going to get more confident as the season goes on. I think we'll see some three-point percentages come up. Ryan Nemhard is a career 35% three-point shooter. He's not going to continue to shoot in the low 20s, but it is tough that we're running plays, running offense, dictating things on the floor in order to get our players open threes, and we're just not able to knock them down. That is going to continue to be a frustrating element of this team unless we start to see those percentages come up. 
most of the rest of the the bad from this game was just kind of fatigue related. Uh, a lot of offensive plays where guys were pretty content drawing contact, but not really finishing through the contact. Uh, a lot of fast breaks that were just ended by fouls as opposed to actually finishing at the rim. That's understandable in a game like this. Gonzaga also only shot 68% from the free throw line. Again, Braden Huff, three of eight from the line in this one. That's not going to get it done. You know, again, things that are related to the fatigue. Uh, ben Gregg committed three fouls in the first half, and they all just kind of looked like he was tired, if we're being honest, uh, in that situation. Nothing that is overly alarming outside of the three-point shooting. I would, I guess we can be a little alarmed about the free throw shooting. It's not like this is the first time that has been an issue. Um, I wouldn't be too concerned about the free throw shooting. It was kind of a few players who were very bad and the rest of the team was actually pretty good from the free throw line, but certainly against teams like this who are running zone zone defenses, Gonzaga's inability to hit threes is going to continue to be a problem for them. And they're going to have to figure out ways to play around that or adjust to that because if that issue doesn't get, get fixed, it's, it severely caps their ceiling this year. We touched a little bit on Yo, but he showed some really excellent flashes on both ends of the floor, including from beyond the arc. Could he potentially be a solution for the Zags as a perimeter scorer? We're going to get to that and more coming up after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Folks, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best and most qualified candidates available and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's really easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn, and then you just add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. From there, simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates who have just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Lockdown Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners. Shout out to those of you hanging out with us in the Discord channel as we chatted throughout this game against Mississippi Valley State on Monday evening. We're going to have plenty of more fun conversations leading up to that game against UConn on Friday. So get into there if you have not done so yet. There's a link for free in your show notes if you want to join us on that Discord channel. So we had five keys or five things I'll be watching for in this Mississippi Valley State game. We talked about these on Monday's episode of the Locked on Zags podcast. I'm going to go through those and kind of talk about what we saw in this game, especially for those people who, who maybe missed this game or only watched part of the game and kind of what it might mean for Gonzaga going forward. So one of the lineups I was hoping to see was a lineup we saw a little bit against UW, and we've seen it at other spurts throughout the season as well, is, is having Jun Sakio come in and play the three and sliding Dusty down to the two. That way, either Nemphart or Hickman can play the one. The other is coming off of the bench or is off the bench in that situation. A, a lineup that I think is feasible going forward that, that that allows one of those two guards to play on the bench uh, and, and still, I think, can, can function within Gonzaga's offense. We'll talk more about Krinovich, you know, shortly, but he's a player who unless Mark Fuse changes his mind and wants to play him a lot more, if they're not viewing him as a rotation piece, 
they have to figure out another way to to force playing time away from Nembhard and Hickman. And Yo playing the three, Stromer playing the two, feels like the most logical way to potentially do that. Yo played a lot in this game. I did not see this lineup, partly because Krinovich played a lot. Joe Few played the last seven minutes of the game. They have found ways to give Nemhart and Hickman much needed breaks, which is good. They should have done that. But we didn't see this particular iteration of the lineup. However, we saw some really good things from Jun Suk Yo. He finished with six points, four boards, and two blocks. The line's not going to stand out in a huge way. Two of eight from the field, two of six from three, oh of one from the free throw line. The three-point shot is what I want to talk about because two of six, 33%, it doesn't really jump off the page in a significant way, but some of the attempts that June took were really good, really good looks that he didn't knock down, obviously a pair that he did knock down, catching the ball in the corner, wide open, feet are set, bang, knocks it down, looked smooth, effortless, fantastic. On the other hand, his decision-making still needs some work. This shouldn't be a shock. We've been wanting and clamoring here on Locked on Zags for these young guys to get more playing time to work through the kinks. When that happens, when we see said kinks being shown on the, on the TV, when we see these guys taking bad shots or making ill-advised passes or losing their assignment defensively, things we saw from Yo, things we saw from Krinovich, things we saw from Pavle Stosic, like, those things are going to happen. And that's part of the reason that these guys aren't playing consistent. If they were not making any mistakes in practices or in games, they would be playing more minutes. For Yo, if his mistake is taking too many shots in a game that Gonzaga is up by 35 points, I am pretty content with that. That is an okay mistake for Yo to make because he knows that his playing time is partially determined by how well he shoots the rock. If I knew that making threes is going to get me on the floor, I'd probably take threes too. Again, some of these were ill-advised. I'm confident he will be spoken to about them if he has not already. Of like, hey, that was too early in the shot clock. Instead of shooting there, maybe pump fake, drive to the rim, try to get contact, get to the free throw line, or just cram it on somebody if you can. Hey, that was too early in the shot clock. Let's pass it out. Let's reset the offense. Hey, let's try to make an entry pass here, whatever it may be. But for Huff, like overconfidence, shooting too much, I said half, sorry for yo, shooting too much, not really something I'm not, I'm not worried about. Again, some bad shots in here, some defensive lapses. He also had two blocks, and, and I mean, he, he works really hard on defense. I love the intensity that he brings on defense, the effort, the energy. Nobody really had energy in this game. EK played well. Braden Huff played well, although he had some, you know, some stuff that wasn't great. But the energy wasn't really there. I'm not knocking those guys as much as I'm complimenting yo because he brought that. He brought that energy off the bench, and he earned a huge chunk of playing time in the second half in part because of that. Let's talk Krinovich. Krinovich has been one of the keys, uh, or I guess, again, things that we're watching for in all of these games against, uh, you know, sub-200 Ken Palm-ranked opponents. And Krinovich played a, a good chunk in this game, and, and frankly, he just hasn't done a whole lot in the playing time he's been getting for this Gonzaga team. We've been continuing to harp for him to play more minutes because we know that Nembhard needs a break. We know that Hickman needs a break. We know that Krinovich is the most logical positionally position, uh, player to to soak up those minutes throughout the season. But the reason we're kind of clamoring now for, for, for Dusty to slide down to the two and Yo to play more at the three is because Yo just looks better than Luca right now. Luca had three points in this game. He had two steals. He had a board and an assist. He shot one of four in the game, one of two from the free throw line. He got out in transition once, got a really great dime from Joe Few. That was the points that he scored. Uh, again, 
one and two from the free throw line, not overly concerned, but defense just not in his spots. A lot of the time you can see him losing guys. I mean, he, he came into the game immediately, didn't box out, gave up an offensive rebound and then committed a foul. And it's like, I don't want to judge him for a, you know, for the first five seconds of being in the basketball game, but like, those are the kind of things that need to get cleaned up. The defensive intensity, the, wherewithal of, of where to be on the floor defensively. Like you can just tell he's somebody who who needs more time before he can be a regular part of this rotation. Gonzaga just doesn't have the time. They don't have it because they don't have steel venters because they don't have any other backup guards on this roster. So that's why I think we probably see more yo. We probably see more of Stromer at the two, maybe, you know, one of those two starting guards on the, off the floor in those situations. But at this point, I don't think Krinovich is going to be playing rotation minutes at any point this season. It's obviously still early, and Gonzaga will have plenty of blowouts in the WCC this year, so it's not like he's going to be relegated to the bench for the entire rest of the season, not by any stretch. Gonzaga's got Jackson State in eight days. That's another team that Lucas should get plenty of second-half run, but you can see the potential, the flashes, but you can also see why he's not a, a member of the rotation just yet. One of our other keys uh, for this game or, or things to watch for was a bounce back from Braden Huff. We kind of already touched on that. 17 points for him. He was seven of nine from the field, but only three of eight from the free throw line. What I love about Braden is how quickly he makes decisions with the basketball. You get him the ball on the block and he's immediately either spinning left. Often he's going to his uh, right shoulder to, to score with his left hand, but he, he can go to his right and finish with the right hand. We've seen him do that, but it's more that he's not getting the ball and waiting and feeling and kind of letting double teams come to him. He's making quick decisions, something I've always really enjoyed about watching his game. And again, I, I've said this on the show before, but the first few times that Braden Huff just seemed to happen to be in the right spot, like happened to pick up a loose ball, happened to to find a seam or whatever, you're kind of thinking, oh, is he just you know, maybe that was a little bit of lucky, a little gift for him, but it's like it happens multiple times every game. It's no longer a, a lucky thing or a, a gift that's happening to Braden Huff. He has a nose for the basketball. He seems to know where to be, how to find his spots, how to get in a spot where a teammate can find him, a loose ball will find him, whatever it may be. Uh, and that kind of just energy and ability to be in the right spot ha has served him extremely well uh, so far this season. One of the things I was looking for was to see if Gonzaga would attempt to run more of that zone defense that worked very effectively against the University of Washington on Saturday. We did not see any of the zone from Gonzaga's defense. We did, however, see a lot of zone from Mississippi Valley State's defense. So Gonzaga did get to work on their zone offense, uh, having already played Syracuse and Washington this year. Not sure how many zones they will see this year. I'm sure some WCC teams might throw it at them. And again, the worst Division one team, according to Ken Palm, ran a zone and held Gonzaga to 21% three-point shooting. I'm guessing a lot of future Gonzaga opponents aren't watching Mississippi Valley State uh, tape to learn about Gonzaga, but if they do, that's something they're going to notice. So I think it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on going forward is our team going to just dare Gonzaga to shoot threes because they haven't proven they're capable of doing it. Uh, we also, while we didn't see Gonzaga run the zone defense, we did see them run the three-quarter court press for about a four or five minute chunk in the first half. That was with Dusty and Luca in the game. Thought that was interesting. Maybe they were just working on that press to get some familiarity with it, uh, working on it while Nemhard and Hickman were on the floor, off the floor. So those guys didn't get extra uh, fatigued from it. But I do like the idea of Dusty leading that that defense, that three-quarter court press. And, and certainly if Luca is going to continue to get experience in that defense, that might help Gonzaga either later this year or certainly 
in future years. And then, of course, one of the things we're always watching for in these contests is the walk-on minutes. Joe Few, like I said, came in with about seven minutes to go in the second half. Uh, he had two assists and two boards. He did take two shots. One of them was a little floater in the lane. One of them was a three-pointer. He did not make either of them. We're still waiting for him to get his first actual field goal. He has scored from the free throw line, but he has yet to score an actual bucket for Gonzaga. Pavle Stosic came in about four and a half minutes left in this game. He picked up a loose ball and scored with his left hand on like one of the first possessions. It was, that one was definitely a gift, kind of going back to the Braden Huff conversation. Ball rolled right to him. Uh, still a nice move to go over his right shoulder and score with the left. I finished with, the, with those two points. He also had two rebounds. He did go 0 of 2 from the free throw line. Pavle's anything we get from him this year is gravy. I'm not incredibly worried about it. It's nice to see him getting that run, though, for long-term development. Colby Brooks came in around the three-minute mark. Didn't really make a mark on this game particularly, but still good to get all three of those guys, their legs stretched and out on the basketball floor. We're going to close out today's show discussing Gonzaga remaining in the top 10. This is still a top 10 AP ranked team despite that loss to Washington. What does it mean for them? What does it mean for their game against UConn? What does it mean for their future opponents? All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The app is really easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, which includes spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And right now, Gonzaga's down to negative 220 odds to win the WCC. Look, I know they struggled against UW, but there's nobody else who's going to win the WCC this year. A uh, shout-out to, to St. Mary's for that win over Colorado State, but, man, I would be all over putting some money down on Gonzaga to win the WCC at those odds. If you are interested in that, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on, and you can get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Closing out the show today, talking AP rankings for Gonzaga as they fall three spots from number seven to number 10 in the AP poll following that loss on the road to the University of Washington on Saturday evening. Here are your top 10, again, at the AP poll. Arizona, Kansas, Purdue are your one, two, and three. I think that has remained the same from the week previously. Houston and UConn come in at four and five. Baylor is at six. Marquette and Creighton uh, are at seven and eight, given the Big East three teams in the top eight. What a conference right there. The Tar Heels of North Carolina come in at number nine, and the Zags are there at 10. I know a lot of people think that Gonzaga only dropping three spots is surprising. Thought that they might drop farther. Thought that since they started the season at number 11, the fact that they're number 10, despite having two losses, one of them to an unranked team, is a little surprising. I understand all of that. As somebody who does my own rankings every single week for the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, I'm less surprised. Because basically every team from 8 to like 16 lost last week. Everybody lost. BYU lost. Colorado State lost. FAU lost. Texas lost. Miami lost. Like all these teams in that range lost. Many of them lost much worse games than Gonzaga. BYU's loss is comparable. They lost to Utah, an in-state rival in the Pac-12 on the road. Very similar to Gonzaga's loss. BYU's strength of, of their schedule up to that point was significantly worse than Gonzaga's, so that helps Gonzaga 
not fall as far in the rankings. Certainly there is some, some home cook in there, some perception value that Gonzaga gets staying a little bit higher in the rankings. But I'll tell you, I had Gonzaga 13th in my rankings for lockdown college basketball. 10 doesn't feel too high. It's, it's a little surprising. I thought they would be like 12. That's where they ended up in our composite rankings for lockdown college basketball. But they get a top 10 matchup now. Gonzaga UConn, top 10 teams on Friday. That is going to be an incredible, fantastic game. UConn is holding steady at five uh, in the AP rankings right now. The big storyline, and we'll get to this, of course, in many future episodes of Locked On College Basketball throughout the rest of the week, or excuse me, Locked On Zags throughout the rest of the week and Locked On College Basketball for that matter, uh, is UConn's health. Donovan Klingon's got a toe injury. Alex Caravan's got a finger injury. Stefan Castle only recently came back from his injury that kept him out for uh, the majority of the first part of the season. I think all those guys are going to play. Klingon is the biggest kind of question mark. Toe injury, foot injuries for big men can certainly linger. Uh, Whether all these guys are 100% remains to be seen. This is a really good, really deep UConn team. Uh, Number five versus number 10. Incredible showcase on Friday. Hopefully everybody's healthy and ready to roll for that one. Uh, Other stuff for Gonzaga. Kentucky moves up to 14. They have a narrow win over Penn. Penn's a team that beat uh, Villanova earlier in the year. Uh, Wasn't a particularly impressive overall win for Kentucky. They kind of struggled with this Penn team. But uh, for the Wildcats, for anybody looking ahead to that game in February, they did get Aaron Bradshaw back from an injury. He made his debut against Wilmington but only played 13 minutes. And then he had a huge game against Penn, 17 points, 13 rebounds, three blocks for the seven-footer at Kentucky, the number three-ranked prospect in the class of 2023. Boy, howdy, they got themselves a big one in the front court for Kentucky. Definitely something to keep an eye on between now and February when that game rolls around. Outside of that, San Diego State falls out of the top 25. They'd snuck back in last week. Now they're back out. Uh, they're 8-2 and two on the season. Their only losses are at BYU and at Grand Canyon. Certainly at Grand Canyon is not a great loss, but it is a defensible loss considering how huge and, and impactful their home environment is. But here's the deal with San Diego State. 8-2 and two with two losses doesn't look bad, but they are dang close to being closer to 5-5. Five and five. They got a one-point win over UC San Diego that required a last-minute lay-in from Jaden Lede. They got a one-point win over UC Irvine. They went to overtime against Cal. Cal's one of the worst Power Six teams in the country. All of those games could have been losses for San Diego State. They're not, and that's great for the Aztecs, but I wouldn't have them in my top 25 even as an 8-2 and two team because they are real close to not being in that conversation. We'll see if and when the luck runs out for the Aztecs later on this season. Meanwhile, speaking of future or past Gonzaga opponents in the Southern California area, neither USC or UCLA even received a single vote in the AP Top 25. It's been a while since we've really had to worry about Gonzaga's strength of the non-conference schedule, in part because Gonzaga's just routinely getting one seeds or sometimes two seeds in the NCAA tournament, in part because the WCC has been improving and St. Mary's has been a formidable opponent. The Zags get to play two to three times a year. San Francisco, Santa Clara, LMU have been in that conversation of at least quad two quality type opponents. And Gonzaga loads up their non-conference schedule, so there's never really been any concern. But it's a little bit more on the radar because USC and UCLA are not ranked and not even particularly close. I think UCLA might sneak in there later. They got some young talent on that team. Maybe it'll help them kind of make a late push. But 
that's probably Gonzaga's best win. Syracuse not a great team right now. USC looks quite bad since basically since Gonzaga beat them. I think they'll probably rebound and, and be okay in the Pac-12. But Gonzaga can't control that the teams that they're playing are not playing well. Like that's there's outside of their control. Obviously, they'll get UConn, they'll get Kentucky, they'll get San Diego State. I don't think they go three and zero in that stretch. But even playing those teams helps them be better. Helps them from a resume perspective, assuming they don't get blown out. Like it's still valuable. So I'm not overly concerned. Yeah, the WCC is worse. St. Mary's is not the formidable opponent they've been in the past. San Francisco, Santa Clara, none of those teams are are at the level that they've been in the past but I'm just not that concerned about it. Gonzaga can only control what they can control worrying about Pacific losing to Idaho. I mean, it's just not on my radar. It's just not something that's really concerning me. Gonzaga will control what they can control right now. They're focused on UConn and that's what we're going to focus on too. We got plenty more shows coming later this week. We'll talk more about uh, Gonzaga's outside shooting, their point guard play. We'll get a big old preview of UConn. We'll talk more about this matchup, what it means for Gonzaga, all that coming up in later episodes here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. I want to shout out all the everyday listeners and shout out those of you on the Discord channel as well. We'll be back on Wednesday with some talk on the women's basketball team as well as some more conversation about Gonzaga's guard play, all coming up in a future episode of Locked on Zags. Thanks so much for making the show your first listen. And until tomorrow, as always, go Zags.